What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here in the aftermath of the 2023 draft, and we're going to talk a little bit about some unanswered questions for the Baltimore Ravens that uh, came out of these days. And uh, it was a, a fun uh, weekend of watching football. I got to watch some of it with uh, my friend and guest today, Vas Beatdown, Vas Laricos, uh, otherwise known as Vasilis Beatdown on Twitter. Vas, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed that that panel discussion we had on day two. Yeah, a lot of fun and uh, and always uh, a good time to just watch it with other passionate Ravens fans. Uh, and and uh, a lot of the podcasting community was there uh, and a lot of people who are terrific fans of a lot of folks' different shows, uh, but including Huddle It Up Films certainly were there and commenting profusely uh, within the uh, notes because it's always a constant uh, a set of topics to discuss. So a lot of fun. Absolutely. So let's talk about this 2023 draft. And and we've already done a, a, a couple of shows already, and I hope you guys will go and download those. But there's two shows on the players drafted. There's one show on the UDFAs that you should have already uh, looked at in terms of, of who they got. And, of course, all the draft uh, uh, content is up there uh, or will be very shortly in terms of the podcast if you want to listen to them in the car of the the hour-by-hour the hour drafting. But today we're going to talk about some of the unanswered questions that remain for this franchise after this uh, this nice weekend of uh, of picks and some value, some need, I think, addressed in, in this draft for us. Yes, I think it was perhaps maybe a little bit more of a long-term focused draft than I was anticipating heading into the year. DeCosta made, which I thought was an interesting comment, that when you only have a small number of picks – Maybe that gave him a little bit more motivation to lean towards the BPA side of the equation versus need. And I thought that was interesting because from my perspective, strategically, perhaps with fewer picks, that gives you more of a reason to address the need. But uh, he thought otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I think that that does seem a little counterintuitive to me. Um, on the other hand, you know, you, maybe that's that's you you're at a certain point, you know, you have to address some things uh, with suboptimal solutions what is unfortunate to me is that they are going to get themselves into some of the contracts i know you are uh not entirely okay with and that's those mid-level or kind of low-level free agent contracts not the vet men contracts those are fine you can take a bunch of those on the team they give you flexibility i kind of actually love those contracts but i'm talking about guys that are going to have to pay five million to three million to 
um, just to plug a hole for 2023. Right. The Ricard and Boyle and Gus Edwards and Chuck Clark, that tier contract essentially. Um, I certainly don't have a problem with allocating a portion of the cap towards those uh, mid-level veteran players, as long as it's not preventing the, the team from being able to have enough star power at the positions where it really shines and they make the difference in the postseason. So it remains to be seen. I mean, there's a lot of unclarities as far as I see. DaCosta tapped into the, the void years well, but is that going to now be offset by the savings of the Lamar long-term deal and then rolled over to compensate, or are they just going to keep pushing forward? Um, we should probably have some idea about that over the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I would think so. Some big decisions certainly being made and uh, some long-term things that they're going to need to address very shortly. Uh, so one of the things that the Costa talked a lot about in advance of the draft was trading down. I, I think phone calls were certainly had, and I think there's good evidence of that. Uh, in the fact that the clock ran out on those first two picks, effectively, that not quite ran out. They got the card in in time both times, but they were under a minute the first time. They were down to like five seconds in round three in turning that card in before the the, the pick is in uh, came up on the NFL Draft Network. Just analyzing the pick at 22, uh, Flowers clearly was the guy that they ended up taking there. And, you know, I think they wanted him and I think he addresses a need at 22, but that was their only real chance to trade down and get meaningful incremental draft capital for it. Probably would have been same draft capital, a meaningful number of a set of meaningful incremental picks. Let me put it that way. So you could have gotten a, you know, a, 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 a two and a three, maybe out of the, mm-hmm. out of the situation, it, depending on where you're trading down to a two and a four. If you're, if you're trading down only a couple spots, I would think. Um, uh, so, uh, well, it could be a one and a four, actually, if you're, if you're trading down a few spots, but that was their only chance. It was 76% of their JJ points were tied up in that first pick. Right. Uh, at some point you have to value is the additional, you know, potential fourth round pick, uh, better than taking a player that you have a higher grade on. And I think the, perhaps the interesting decision part, of, uh, there was news this morning. We should probably timestamp this for, uh, Monday, May the 1st, because there may be some, uh, signings this afternoon even, but uh, the Giants were uh, covet, coveted Zay Flowers, attempted to trade up for him, were unsuccessful. They uh, picked, I believe, three spots after the Ravens. Um, they ended up taking Deontay Banks, so they were uh, forced out of the wide receiver market, but they ended up getting uh, – those were the two players I was really hoping for at that point, either Banks or Flowers, and they end up taking the receiver, and now they still have you know some work to do a cornerback. So def- definitely a uh, – it would have been a tough decision. I mean, in retrospect, uh, the Ravens drafted third in the four-wide receiver run. So they may have already felt like the receiving options were dropping off. I had a fair amount of guys grading out. I love Jalen Hyatt. would have been a guy that, that uh, would have been too far after. If they'd have traded down, say, into the top of the second round, they could have gotten him. Uh, but I had other guys I liked – in terms of things, Zay Flowers, though, I think he does kind of exactly fit their need in terms of a field stretcher. Uh, they did have other cheaper field stretching options if they want to go drop off to a guy like Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati, who would have been later in the draft. But an interesting approach to it. Now, the second time this happened again at a pick number 86, Simpson was their guy, uh, apparently a top rated graded player on their board. 
Uh, one thing you always kind of love is when the Ravens go against value, sorry, go against need, I should mm-hmm. say, it's usually a really good value pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, usually. Yeah. Uh, this this pick, uh, well, just to go back to Flowers briefly, I think uh, what I like about that pick in particular is because you have – you know, immediate impact potential as well as a succession plan at receiver, which is a 24 need just as high. I'd argue it's higher than a lot of the, some of the other positions that folks think are, are pressing. I guess you can't really have a pressing need for next year, but you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. As far as Simpson, um, you know, I think he's a good player. It's just you're stockpiling so many assets now. I mean, I'm a proponent of going cheap at both inside linebacker spots. And so then you have a first round uh linebacker Patrick Queen then you trade for Roquan Smith then you make him the highest paid con- player in the league you also have Malik Harrison a third round pick and then you have Simpson and then you're walking into this draft essentially with the best tandem or one of the best tandems of inside linebackers in the league one of the best tandems of safeties in the league so your middle of the field coverage is in a really good spot I personally don't think it's great strategy to invest in a succession plan at devalued positions. I think just as we saw Simpson made it to the Ravens here, there's a good chance that a linebacker would slide to you next year or a running back. Um, so that's the real you know, critique. It's not going to make or break your draft. It's not going to ruffle my feathers to the point where I'm upset about the draft, but it's still pretty dubious in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think we'll, we'll come back to that uh, some of the other – unintended consequences of the Simpson pick in just a, in just a little bit here, but you know, second opportunity, they went right down to the wire. So even though Simpson was clearly a value pick, cause he wasn't a need pick, mm-hmm. they still maybe weren't in love with the value and still willing to trade down out of 86 and did not get it done. So um, I think DaCosta addressed it. I did not hear the exact words in terms of, you know, the math wasn't quite right on the picks that were, that were, coming out that, that were offered later. And, you know, if that's true, you don't, I don't just, I don't, uh, 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 you know, make it, I don't feel bad about what he did. Let's put it that way. I, I think sure. that, that you, uh, you, you live with the, the player you really believe in at 86. Um, I am not completely on the Simpson hype train at this point. I think there's some things in terms of coverage between level two and three that still need to be learned. Um, but I like him as a downhill player. I like him as a fly-around player. I like him as a sideline to sideline player. I think he complements Roquan Smith very well. And I think the combination of Orr and Roquan, I had this discussion a little bit last night, will be a great mentorship team for him. We, we had I had this question posed mm-hmm. to Josh Reed last night, but I'd like to hear your answer on this, Voss. Who's more important to him, Roquan or, uh, or, or, um, uh, or in terms of his development? Um, probably Roquan. I mean, I think, uh, the mentorship as far as teaching him how to be a professional, as far as off the field and the work ethic required, that's what's, if we really boil it down, a lot of these players are pretty similar athletically and that sort of thing. And what separates them once they reach the next level is their work ethic, the intangibles they bring. And I think you probably, although Zach Gore's not that much older than him, um, you know, I think Roquan probably would be, a but. I assume they're both going to be good mentors, as will Mike McDonald. Right. All right. Outstanding. And I, um, I, I, uh, I, I can't really say either, but I will say Queens play with Roquan, them being a good duo. I would expect that to continue this year. I just, I don't think it's easy to put Simpson on the field, and I, I kind of hope they don't in any position except 
for a nice clean will linebacker. If they have some third down role for him, okay. I, I guess I'll live with that if the if Queen is still on the team. But I don't like the idea of of him having some very poorly defined position to start the year. I'd rather him, you know, basically play will linebacker, learn how to do that, not fall into the Camelot Correa trap uh, of of not really having a prime. Yes, we've seen that a few times before. Um, allow him to become the uh, of his craft at one at one, for one role. And, and so they ease him in. But that begs the question, how much of a value is a BPA pick sometimes when most of his first year is going to be spent, presumably, uh, in a backup role? Um, but, but you're also talking about a third-round pick. Maybe we're putting a little bit too much wanting that instant impact because they didn't have a second-round pick. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a fair thing entirely. And even the good third-round picks – uh, Marshall Yanda uh, did not start as a rookie in 2008. He was still fighting for a job uh, to, to try and get on the field, which is incredible to me that Chris Chester kept kept Marshall Yanda off the field for half a year that uh, uh, that year. Uh, you know, if you go back to um, uh, the nose tackle Brandon Williams, uh, he wasn't really on the field. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, Lardarius Webb was. He was kind mm-hmm. of forced there under fire and did extremely well. As the Ravens had high hopes for him, and then he got hurt later in the year. So. Uh, it's true. A, 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 expecting a third round pick to play right away is a is kind of a, uh, a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, rotational role. I think a good draft. You get one starter. As far as first year contributions, you get one starter and probably two contributors. And then second year, you hope to maybe have two starters. And by year three, you had your third, or maybe even your fourth, in a really good class. Yeah, they had they had two last year. They're lucky, uh, and then a, another contributor and likely. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of who else they had from the draft. I mean, they had Stout. He's Jones. John, Jones contributed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Travis Jones. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So maybe they had two and two. It makes it a great draft last year. Uh, let's move on. A second topic that they really didn't didn't deal with is cornerback. There's several facets to this so we're, we're going to get into. But I, I looked at how the cornerback market is rolling off the board and um, at first, I was very upset about Emmanuel Forbes, who was really my guy going at number 16 to the Commanders. I, I knew there was a chance of it. Marcus Peters went earlier than expected. Uh, the year he was drafted, uh, Forbes a very similar player, obviously, and, and uh, you know, one of the great ball hawks uh, of all time in college. Uh, didn't really think he was going to last, but, uh, but still, you know, the, the NFL had it figured out right. They had him ahead of Gonzalez. Um, that's not exactly how I had, I still had Gonzalez ahead, but I had Witherson with this spoon far ahead of Gonzalez. So, uh, that's where I, I, you know, I just upset that maybe there weren't other inefficiencies of the draft, like Will Levis being taken and, uh, whatnot that could have let Forbes drop all the way to the Ravens. Maybe it was also a fool's errand. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I personally would have preferred flowers over Forbes if that was the two choices at 22, um, it was interesting that some of the corners that were rated higher slipped. Um, Ringo, uh, Darius Rush, and then Corey Trice fell all the way, I think, to the seventh round. Apparently, he has a knee in- issue. We mentioned it on the panel. When a player falls be- more than a round below expectation, I kind of figured they know more than we do as far as a medical or a character issue. So that is what it is. Yeah, I, I think a, 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 a fair guess on that one. And and I do always return to the Ravens usually know better. The guy they dra- did draft at cornerback, I'm going to just say the Ravens know better because I can't pick out uh, Caillou Blue Kelly's single outstanding characteristics that says we got to have him. Did have a great senior bowl, maybe has great interviews, 
you know, maybe they just love his, his character, his intelligence, something like that. On the field, he hasn't been that good a player. And yeah. uh, you know, that's just the nature of it. Eight point uh, something, I don't have it in front of me, over eight yards per target in college, uh, which is really bad. I think 8.4. Joe Ortiz, the uh, something about – Ortiz, when he speaks, there's just something that makes me want to trust what he says automatically. He doesn't have quite the amount of spin that maybe some other folks do. Uh, but he pointed to um, Caillou Blue's uh, game against Traylon Burks from the previous season, two years ago, uh, as a game where he really put himself on the map and stood out. So maybe they saw some high flashes. I do think over the last few years we have seen a little bit more uh, motivation or willingness to draft High character players with special teams, a floor of a special teams player on day three, um, for the, for some of them. So, yeah. not my favorite, you know. I although I will say I believe he was also in the eight and a half range on the relative athletic score. So he's not, um, you know, a player that's devoid of NFL caliber uh, athleticism. Yeah, just not a speed guy. Um, you know, not a results guy on field, not known as a particularly physical player. That's definitely something that that uh, has come up. He's even said, I think, in his own interview, that he needed to improve that part of his game. Uh, has, you know, plays a lot of off coverage and isn't great at it in terms of recognition. It's just the, the list of things I was trying to find. What did the Ravens really like about this guy? I think what happened was that the cornerback market, despite a fairly deep draft of corners, and, you know, he would have been about 19th on my list in that range. He did not make my honorable mentions. You know, he's so so he was in a not quite honorable mention category on there. So he would have been, uh, you know, I think what happened anyway is that the Ravens uh, saw cornerbacks start to get taken and they didn't feel like they still had value at 22 and a player like Porter or certainly more value relative to Flowers. And and I would I would have taken I take flowers over anybody at the cornerback position with the exception of Forbes. That would have been, been my, my call on it. And it, if, you know, once they were past that and they didn't trade down, unless you're going to trade next year's first round pick, you're pro or, or Patrick queen and 86 say together, and you get lucky and someone in the second round decides, you, you know, they, they just need to have him that much. You're probably not going to move up into the second round and get one of the top corners, one of the top seven guys. Right. And, and at that point, you're not looking at a, starter um still though i think i still would prefer taking one before the fifth even though you still already have a couple fourth round type of guys and third late third round guys on the roster uh you know the weakest position group entering the draft still the weakest group exiting the draft so you know the more iron to sharpen the iron the better yeah I, absolutely and I, I and basically i think corners were overvalued kind of through the thing the ravens kind of you, know, you, you I see you've got a number of jerseys up behind you. Sorry, you can't see this, guys. But, but you know, Voss obviously has some collector in him, so he'll understand this analogy. You want a baseball card, a particular – you want a Brooks Robinson rookie card. Let's call it that. And you start collecting in the mid-'70s like I did, and and the card is $4 or something. <laughs> and and now not only is it hundreds of dollars and probably even you know over $1,000 now, uh, but everybody's hyper-condition sensitive – so you got that extra layer of value, not value, of cost that has been added to the card, and, and it just makes it very difficult. And I think you know there was additional demand for cornerbacks in this draft that was clearly demonstrated by other teams that meant the player you got in round four wasn't as good as as you expected. So I think that's kind of where we uh, ended up being. I, one of the problems coming out of this is I think the, the Ravens have a lot of mediocrity at cornerback that they need to sort through. 
and you look at at who the, who's on the roster now, they they used something like eighteen or nineteen transactions to keep Daryl Worley around. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he's the first guy, if he's their yeah. top emergency situation. Yeah, he had some good moments, showed some good physicality in the last handful of games down the stretch. To me, the big concern about cornerback is what do you do if Humphrey goes down? Oh, it yeah. reminds me of – I mean, we saw it last year, even if he missed a series, uh, and that was when you still had, you know, two two starters that you've lost now and Clark and potentially Peters. We'll see with Peters. Um, it almost reminds me a little bit of the wide receiver situation last year with Rashad Bateman, and he said, well, listen, we have good tight ends, and essentially the tight end is the line inside linebacker group. Uh, and then you have Bate, and as long as Bateman stays healthy, we have just enough. But if he goes down, or if Humphrey goes down, now we're leaning on all these day three, third round, fourth round, as you said, mediocre. And uh, as much as I like the potential of the Ravens' offense, I still think, without a little bit more in pass defense, they're still a, a half a step below those really top tier uh, of the AFC right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, and and you know. The other thing is just a, a sorting issue that it, it takes time to sort through players who are just not that good. And, and you know, they're, 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 none of the options is perfect. They all have warts and you're really trying to figure out who's good. And the Ravens went right into the regular season doing it. They started that New England game and they benched two different outside cornerbacks in the same game. And in, in J.A.D. Got, got benched, actually J.A.D. got benched and also Pepe got benched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to have to find out actually, no, it wasn't it's JAD and Stevens. I'm sorry. I don't want to get that wrong. Stevens played like a half and JAD, I think started the game for eight snaps or something, but anyway, they, they, they need to be able to not have that happening on the fly under fire during the season. I know JAD did not really play in training camp last year, uh, but they, they're going to, those games are going to be very important in terms of having that competition decided, um, with some live fire snaps, as opposed to some seven on seven snaps. I know that, that coaches always think they can get it from that. There's just something about having, you know, 11s on the field and having uh, no brother-in-law play that's going to make that a little bit more uh, uh, resolvable, I think. And, and uh, let's go through the list here. But they've got, yeah. they've got Worley, J.A.D., Pepe, Brandon Stevens, and now uh, Caillou Blue Kelly. Uh, so it's it's a it's and that that's probably not even it. Kevon uh, Seymour Kayvon, Kayvon and Seymour, yeah. uh, Trayvon Mullen as well, who they picked up. So uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of bodies, uh, but we don't know the quality of bodies. You know, I think there's been a new. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, or tell me if you agree. You know, I've been a Ravens fan for 25 years, more than that. You know, there was never an input. You had to give these day three picks ample opportunity to seize a starting role because you didn't have anybody in front of them. I think that really started in the last year or two. And it's, that's a product of tough roster decisions and you pay one position you're short of a different one. Um, but this idea that, you know, you have to give Pepe and JD and Caillou blue, you know, start starting a volume of reps in, in training camp, and, and then if you don't have anything, then the week before the season starts, pick up somebody like you did with Demarcus Robinson. That's not a that's not enough for me. That's not how the really high end contenders do. We saw first round cornerbacks. Jimmy Smith was a rotational player for the first year and a half. Marlon Humphrey was a rotational player. These are first round corners, you know. And how many day three corners actually pan out? Ten percent, fifteen percent, maybe. Yeah, it's a it's a very valid point. 
Um, and and it's a, it's very difficult to to work through this. Usually, when they do pan out, it's because they get their opportunity under injury. So Anthony Abert, I mean, he's a guy who, who kind of worked out for the mm-hmm. Ravens, certainly yeah. in terms of in terms of what was going on. But he got sixty five snaps by fire in his rookie year. And I do I like the notion that that a that a day two or day three pick doesn't necessarily have to play right away. Uh, it can, can come in and play hopefully in year two. But usually that means he gets some live fire action due to injury in that first year. And, and JAD had a little bit, but he, he gives no indication he's ready to go. I don't, I don't know if the Ravens consider him a sacred cow at this point where he's definitely going to make the team given the draft capital invested to me, he's a sunk cost at at this point. You have to decide, well, he's still young. He still has not played very much football. Do you really still believe he can develop? Is there an upside there that we want to buy into with the speed he's got and the other characteristics? Or do you just say, you know what, this one didn't work out. We're going to move on and and uh, and do that. I don't. I, I I'm not sure which side of the fence I'm on on that argument. I think he'd like to like to see what he can do when he's healthy. I mean, I think if he stays healthy, he's got maybe the best potential out of anybody in the whole group, except for uh, for Marlon, obviously. But uh, if he can't stay healthy, I mean, hurt guys stay hurt. You know, we, we've seen that so many times. One part of the body starts compensating for the other, and and he's had that issue for the last few years of his career, including college. So we'll see. Now, another unresolved question out of this at the cornerback position, and, you know, this has facets, is that they didn't really – well, they didn't at all address slot cornerback. Uh, and that's a place where Kyle Hamilton still is right now. I, I personally – I don't think they can afford to move Kyle Hamilton with the outside corner group they have. I think they need to figure out that outside corner group. Maybe they get lucky and somebody steps up, proves they can play the slot, and they can move Hamilton back if they even think that's the right call. But Hamilton played so well at that slot spot. I'm also not eager to get him out of there. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent to where Kyle Hamilton plays. I think his natural position is strong safety, but I think he may be able to make more of an impact as that overhang slot um, nickel defender. Um, at this point, I wouldn't be opposed to bring on, bring in a starting caliber or a, a player, a safety who has starting pedigree, such as uh, Amos, who I believe they had brought in for a pre-draft visit and then you have a lot. Of, then you have more flexibility. But the, I, I would say that you, you need to. I, I would really like to see two more veterans acquired. We could have two corners or one corner and a safety. You know, it's a, it's a, that's an interesting point you make. And I think that in part the Trenton Simpson pick kind of tipped their hand a little bit. I think the Ravens have basically decided they're a committed nickel team with all that talent they have at inside linebacker currently. Um, and even if if they trade Queen, which I think is, is a pretty good chance that'll happen, they're going to have to find value to make it to make it worth it to them. Because the other option is is play Queen, who played you know well last year, and then allow him to walk after the season, get a compensatory pick for him. Um, that could be well that could well be better than what they would otherwise get in terms of 2024 draft capital. So, um, but but the point is that the Ravens played committed nickel after the Roquan trade this last year. So they, they really got away from the dime defense pretty much entirely. Um, it, I don't – the need for another safety is kind of questionable if you have um, Stone and Hamilton splitting the back-end responsibilities with uh, – they probably do still need another safety anyway just to make sure they have four to make three at those mm-hmm. positions. But if you're not moving Hamilton and you don't need a dime back, you can go pretty cheap. At that, at that second, yeah. at that, at that next safety spot. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I will say that if 
the Todd Munkin offense realizes more of its potential, you're, you'll be in a game scripts to play more dime than you were last year. You know, so will they trade Queen? Won't they trade Queen? I mean, this is, again, it really comes down to positional value. If Patrick Queen was the same player, but he played cornerback, I think they would have been able to move him. And that's why Trent Simpson falls to you. Inside by linebacker is interesting because it was getting devalued, 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 devalued. Then last year, everyone got hip to this Fangio scheme and the Ravens paid Roquan and the Bears ended up appraising Roquan by paying Edmonds. But there's still quite a few teams that just don't want to pay any linebackers. And both the teams in the Super Bowl last year were among them. Yeah. It's, and you can't always just go by, by who wins the Super Bowl and what was their strategy to get there. You know what I'm getting at with the, with the Rams sure. win, of course. But, but you know, the interesting pick in this draft, I thought, and the, and the pick I thought would help them trade Queen was Jack Campbell going in number 18. Mm-hmm. And I, and I thought, okay, that's got to improve the market for Patrick Queen because, you know, he's the only guy who's an obvious right away, step right in, take your green dot mic out of the yep. entire draft. And so, you know, if you're looking for who's my consolation prize now, Patrick Queen's looking pretty freaking good. A lot of the other guys who are tagged, I mean, I had trouble getting to 10 inside linebackers mm-hmm. for my mm-hmm. list for the show for that. And, you know, I had to take Nick Herbig, who's really a Sam, mm-hmm. as one of my guys for, for the number 10. So I kind of cheated on that. Um, but, but you know, maybe somebody would wanted Simpson and they thought he could move in. I think Simpson is probably one of those players who – could have the green dot would play the will for two downs and the mic for one down. That's a lot to ask of a rookie, by the way, in terms of positional responsibilities and changes. But, you know, Patrick queen might also fill that role as a two down will one down Mike where, uh, you know, passing down Mike who, who who could be on the field for, for those downs. Obviously he's not perfect in terms of his, of his characteristics for that, but he also, he's, he's pretty damn good relative to what's out there. And I thought the Ravens might be able to do that. Yeah, I think there's some value. He's not, but, but is it enough? I mean, you know, there's just so many tentacles to this. You know, do you want to have, ideally, you want to have Simpson getting on the job training um, next year? Yeah. But it, it's a give and a take, and it's that long term versus short term, it's that constant, that constant tug of war. Yeah, I, I don't anticipate that Patrick Queen is going to be a happy player when he's here during the middle of the year. I just don't anticipate it. Even if he's, even if he's playing pretty regularly, uh, you know, the best possible situation is he plays lights out. The Ravens can't even find a way to take him off the field. He's so good. And he ends up going at the end of the year for a, for a third or fourth round comp pick. Uh, in, in point of fact, that inside linebacker, I think it's less likely he generates a three, more likely he generates a four or a five. Uh, and probably if I had to, if I had to peg it, I'd probably guess a five right now is what, what they will get from Patrick Queen. So you get a, a year's worth of play plus a five, or maybe, you know, what can you get for him now? A four, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a deferred five as well. So if you're trading, if you really need the pick in 24, then you, you need to trade now. Uh, but anyway, it, it is what it is. I, the, the situation will resolve itself. Honestly, this is another case where you know a cornerback. You work through your 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 problems with injuries, deflating your uh, your depth. That could happen at, at uh, inside linebacker as well. And if Patrick Queen goes down, Freddie Porter, if Roquan does, for that matter, uh, the Ravens are in a good position to to try and still feel. They're not really in a good position if they lose Roquan, but they're in a good position if they if they uh, have to have Simpson play some for Queen. Maybe at this point, the the 
best option is to look for a player for player trade with Queen, where maybe you can get either uh, a defensive lineman or a safety or a corner, maybe a corner down somebody else's depth chart that you've identified as a guy with upside. Because it's tough to trade a guy and then wait the year to get the to get yep. to get the value back. Either way, there you go. That's an it would certainly be an instant gratification move. And and I in in this case because of the comp, the competitive nature of the Ravens this year and and hopefully the relative cost. If you're talking about a first contract player, uh, I think that would that could potentially be worth it. Usually, teams are very careful about that, and they'd want to trade a fourth year player for a fourth year player. That's the mm-hmm. typical end of camp trade, uh, but that that very well could be a, made available to the Ravens. Yeah. So we did, we haven't completely talked about the Queen situation because one of the issues is that by not trading Queen during this draft, in fact, by not trading Queen when they drafted Simpson. I believe they've devalued Queen a little bit. They've, they've turned themselves into motivated sellers. Yeah. Uh, what's the movie? It wasn't a movie. It was a, it was a series I saw recently about some house that was haunted in New Jersey. And, and basically uh, they, it kept getting undersold. You know what I'm talking about, didn't you? you I it? think I saw that with the, uh, with the real estate agent and they yes. were, yeah, I know. Which I can't. I don't recall the name though. <laughs> Bobby Cannavale is the star, and and, and you're you're, you're uh, uh, he, they, he buys a house. They buy a house they really can't afford in New Jersey, and it turns out everybody's the watcher. That's what it's called. Yes, everybody, yes. everybody's you know hates them basically in the neighborhood because they made some changes to it, and also they 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 all wanted the house for themselves, and then the real estate agent keeps keeps doing tricky stuff to them anyway. It's a, it's a it's one of those kind of situations where. They're motivated sellers, and they obviously they, they end up selling the house. and And I, I'm afraid that that the Ravens are kind of in this position with uh, uh, with Patrick Queen that they end up probably going to take less than they otherwise could have gotten prior to this draft or during this draft. Yeah, you know, I think that's true. It's never going to be a perfectly efficient process. It's just not. We'd love it if the Ravens could fill all their needs in order and get and trade the players for the value when the time is right. It's not going to be. You do the best you can. I think they can potentially, you know, feel a few packages where, um, you know, they could have three inside backers on the field. Um, I don't like that. I prefer more defensive backs. The, 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 the issue you run into is, you know, if I'm game planning for the Bengals offense right now, if I'm, if I'm Zach Taylor, I'm saying we're going 10 personnel, you know. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then how are you going to cover that? Um, so they still need some work to do, but... I never think that – correct me if you, if you – or tell me if you agree with this one. No matter how strong your middle of the field defense is, if you have a weakness on the boundary, that's still problematic. Oh, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. I think you, you can never make up for that. In fact, you know, we, we have different ways. You don't want to pay any inside linebacker. I, I'll just say no more than one is what I want to pay in terms of inside linebackers. I love platooning at that second spot. Uh, and if you can, if, if you're basically saying you can afford to platoon at the mic as well, I don't entirely disagree. And the 2019 Ravens kind of proved it in terms mm-hmm. of, of being able to, to, to do that, certainly. But they're, they're, I, I think ideally, uh, we saw what Roquan did for the team last year. I think he has a real chance to be worth it for the term of this contract. He's still a very young player. And, uh, and I'm excited about, about him 
being one of the foundational players. I think that's fine. Uh, in terms of the the uh, uh, the second position and paying that, I'm I'm absolutely dead set against it. I think we're about to enter an era where it's it's just not going to be possible. Well, that's really a lot of the value that you get from paying a Roquan is that he's supposed to elevate the player beside him. So if yeah. you're paying two high end guys at inside backer, where's the money coming from for offensive line and and defensive backs and pass rushers? Yeah, absolutely, Could completely agree. Uh, moving on from Patrick Queen, um, you know, an, another contract, and it's a minor one that didn't get resolved, was Devin Duvernay. There, there, there possibly was a desire to trade him. And this is one of the – we have a very efficient group of people who support Pro Bowl voting. And I, I don't want to mm. go out and bash them but I, because I, I, I like these people. They're terrific <laughs> fans. And uh, Pat Hirsch, you're out there. You, you, you do a great job of like leading a lot of this effort to get people elected to the Pro Bowl. There is a cost to it, actually, that mm-hmm. happens in terms mm-hmm. of the cap. Uh, and and it, you end up having a, uh, a, you know, a guy who has a higher salary because of it. Uh, that, that happened, obviously, with, um, uh, with DuVernay. Uh, it didn't happen with Patrick Queen. Um, but, uh, but it could have in terms of, of, uh, you know, a guy making a little more money. So we got to be, I, 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 I want the, the Ravens to make the pro bowl. I want it to be because they, they absolutely are rock solid deserving of that. Uh, uh, if I had to, had to say, I always root for the team a little more than the player, whether it's contract negotiations or uh, pro bowl, uh, incentive, uh, co- you know, boosts. <laughs> Completely understand that, and uh, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't expect any less of you, Voss. But you're very good on that. So, anyway, Duvernay, I, I think it is a tough decision for them because Duvernay's in the fourth year of his contract, so he's not part of the long term solution for the Ravens unless they decide he's the guy they want to sign. Flowers overlaps with his traits a lot in terms of being an outstanding gadget weapon, in addition to. Um, you know, the things he does, you, you, you've got other guys who can do the punt return job. They just won't do it as well. The kick return mm-hmm. job, they just won't do it as well. And I think the Ravens are okay with that. I think it's a place where you need to save money because frankly, there's a lot fewer punt returns and kick returns in the entire NFL than there used to be. Yes. That's a great point. Um, completely agree with that. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to dive in and do some, uh, some numbers on that at some point this off season. Cause when you see the Ravens rostering three, essentially special teams, only inside backers, it makes me it makes me think. Is there really a value to that? But um, back to uh, Duvernay, I would probably lean towards keeping him at this point because I do like um, being going five deep if you can at receiver. That's becoming a position where it's also almost the you know the uh, counter the mirror reflection of cornerback where there are injuries. And at some point when you don't have that Kansas city last year during their postseason, I mean, they were pretty much running their backup wide receivers, but they were also high talented pedigree guys. And uh, you could probably get a comp pick for Duvernay. I think, you know, he, he would hypothetically have, get a, you know, a decent mid-level fifth, sixth type of maybe Josh Oliver type contract. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I think that's a reasonable kind of, kind of positioning for him. You know, the other thing is you you do need to prepare for injuries. And at this point, if Zay Flowers is the only guy to fill a certain set of needs, then then I'm a little worried about it because, you know, rookies in particular um, can often have trouble with the longer season with, with training camp being a little different, particularly a hardball training camp where they go very hard and may have some soft tissue injuries um, that, that come along with that. Uh, you know, obviously we had we had other receivers like Perriman and Brown come really into the league with their own injury problems 
thankfully that is not the case with Zay Flowers as far as I know. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. well, with Perryman, that was the real uh, eyebrow one. Yeah, so it was a, it was a tough one. Well, let's move on because we're still not done with the questions that really didn't get resolved by this draft. And by the way, don't let me be too critical about this. Every team comes out of the draft with unresolved issues. Sure. Fair to say? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what the, the second, third wave of free agency. And, um, you know, there's, as they don't, they're not lining up for week one anytime soon. Yeah. And it's, the nice thing about free agency is it's really a different game. Uh, beginning today with mm-hmm. the, we're, we're recording this the afternoon of May 1st, but this is the first day where you can sign guys and they don't count against the compensatory formula. So a lot of the people who drew only moderate interest before, and that includes Rock Yassin and Marcus Peters. Now there's probably going to be more interest for, from around uh, for around the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that changes it, you know, it preserves the picks, but that also means that, Anyone at the parts doesn't net a pick back either. And I believe today is also, or I may be wrong, but where they can apply that that uncommon tag that they used on Justin Houston last year. Um, Brian uh, had a had a, a tweet about that this morning, where it was a little bit more costly from last year, but it might give him a little, uh, you know, pick coming back type of deal. This is uh, this is in terms of Justin Houston specifically. They could put it on or Demar. Yeah. So last year they did it. I think it's a long tenured player. Just bear with me a moment. I'll find it. I'll and I'll read it off for you from Brian. All right. I'll. Uh, uh, it's the UFA tender. Uh, it was. It's a ten percent bump. It was three and a half million last year, uh, and a ten percent a bump this year if they. But it's the unrestricted free agent tender, and I believe you can apply it to a player, and if he doesn't sign with another team by a certain date, then he has to play for you under the, I guess, $3.8 million. Uh, no, that's interesting. Okay, so I had kind of forgotten about that. I forgot that. It was, last year was the first year. time it came up. Right, right. Okay. So in theory, that could be applied to either Peters or another player. Houston, I don't know what they'd want to try and sign Houston for. There are other, It's one of the weird positions is that if you want an edge rusher, there are guys in their yeah. 30s who are available, and uh, a lot of them kind of meet the character. And the Ravens have been good about about finding guys who are good at that. McPhee and and JPP and and uh, uh, Houston were all guys who helped the team, I think. And we've been talking about having one of Houston or JPP back. Uh, I still think that would be very good. But I, I honestly, their need is more on the other side at Sam right now. Uh, unless they're, I really hope they're not deciding this, but they may be deciding that they're moving away to Sam. I, you know, not. not Going through this and not really making a move at Sam, I don't really believe Trenton Simpson is a Sam. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know where you end up. If uh, you, last year they brought in Vince Beagle, who was yeah. you know hopefully going to be a guy, and then he got hurt, so that didn't work out. Um, but I think they're gonna they're they're really going to want to try and find a Sam linebacker. Uh, a couple thoughts on that. So I think you can make a case that a few years ago when they didn't have really strong inside linebackers or safeties where they had one, but not two, the coverage from the sandbacker was a little bit more important as far as to help cover up some of those deficiencies. They're a little stronger there. As far as away, I'd like to see Owe go the other way. I'd like to see him um, get more reduced inside as far as, um, you know, five technique, four technique potentially, because I think there's room for another guy to, to come down inside uh, on the D line and, he fits the profile better than the other three uh, outside linebackers, I think. 
Okay, so better than Ajabo even because to me he's his is his speed is so exceptional. Um and, and what has not been exceptional is pointed out by Jason a lot is that his get off is really not exceptional. But if it, but his speed and the athleticism he brings off the edge, that's what I have not seen enough of. I've still seen pressures this last year. He ended the year, by the way, with his best game of the year, which is yeah. the going in the arrow is pointed in the right direction entering 23. But he needs to get opportunities on that rush side, and he needs. It seems like a certain number per game is going to kind of be his limit, and so I don't think he's going to end up being a sixty-five percent or a seventy-five percent snap guy necessarily. At least maybe not right away in his career. And I really want him to work with Chuck Smith and see what he can do against the uncovered tackle before I decide I'm I'm punting effectively and moving him to the inside. I think you know you move uh, Tavius to the inside, you maybe move Ajabo to some inside snaps. Okay. And, and you have other guys, uh, you know, naturally on the defensive line, maybe Travis Jones plays a few more passing down snaps, uh, but you have other guys. If you really want to get four outside linebackers on the field, you could do it. And I, and then I don't even really mind if, if uh, Oway is one of the guys inside at that point, but on, on normal downs, I'm not looking for him to, to oh, um, yes. have his position compromised at all. Let me clarify. I, I completely agree. I'm talking about uh, maybe in dime or sure. in, you, you know, obvious past situations i think um away is catching way too much heat this offseason and um i think he's in store for a good year yeah yeah he's definitely he's he's one of the guys if you made a list about the six or seven guys who would decide the season that reason i'm thinking about this is i try to do that for the orioles and try Mm -hmm. to figure out who are the guys who really will will be difference makers because the variance in the top to bottom is so great Mm away is certainly one of those guys in terms of the 23 ravens sure all right. the the other big area where they really did not address the position group at all is defensive line and you know they've got only one of their five players is still going to be here in 2024 for sure so you look at the entire group they've got Travis Jones will still have three more years with the Ravens and and is effectively signed through 2025 uh then then you have two guys in Matabike and Washington who were darn good players last year but they're both going to be lost after the season. And uh, I think it would really behoove the team, even though I know you got to be really careful about these contracts to try and figure out a team friendly structure right now that would extend one of those players. And obviously Matabiki would be the more expensive one, but if you could get Washington cheaper on, you know, three years, 9 million kind of thing, um, I'd be excited about that too. I don't think that's enough money that, that I'm breaking the bank. And I think those are the kind of smart moves the Ravens are going to continually have to make. Yeah, there's been a shortage of quality defensive line prospects coming in the draft for the last two or three years now, and it's becoming a you know scarcer position. So I'm not so worried about 24. I think you could replace Michael Pierce and Brent. You could you could resign either of them for the same they're making. I don't think they're going to be making you know pay jumps two years from now, or a comparable player for a comparable salary. And then if you I don't think you're going to be able to probably keep both of, of Washington and Matabike, but you can keep one and then you mm-hmm. draft one next year and maybe add a vet between now and then. Um, I do think there's, there's there needs to be one more front seven piece added, whether that is on the D line or outside backer or potentially a Jason Peter Paul that can do a little bit of both. Okay. And you're not saying front, you really mean front five, not front seven, because you don't yes. want another inside line. Yes, correct. Front five. <laughs> front five. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. Outstanding. Uh, I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying, that some of this is going to have to be resolvable, but they, they've like come almost full circle 
from paying a lot of money to Campbell, who was a great player. That money was not wasted in any way, shape, or form in terms of, of you know getting him. But they paid Campbell money, and, and part of that was to hopefully be a bridge while they drafted some additional young players and got them up to speed. And Matabike and Washington, they actually hit on the defensive line draft mm-hmm. picks that they wanted in, in very reasonable amounts. Matabike's second-round pick, I think he's been worth it. Washington mm-hmm. fifth round pick. He's he's been worth it, Definitely. but they still don't have enough. <laughs> you know, so yeah. so they're we're we're at a point where they've uh, they never double dipped at the position. I don't believe. I'd have to actually go check that to see if they maybe did double dip in a, in even a later just that round. year. That just yeah. that year, the Matabike Washington year. Yeah. So anyway, ongoing problem after twenty three. I, I and I, you know people seem to be pretty happy with the way the Ravens are for twenty three. I think they've got a big void to fill with the loss of Campbell that is going to be pretty sorely felt. I'd agree. I would definitely agree with that. I think that's, again, getting back to when you pay Roquan Smith that kind of money, then you have to sacrifice somewhere else and hope that he's going to be able to make up for it. Um, Again, the, the Eagles, some of these other teams, there was a, certainly a couple guys that went day two. I think Pittsburgh got the, a Benton, who I had my eye on yeah. as a day two player who would have been a nice fit. There just wasn't really that many of them, to be honest. It's been several years now where you have, you know, two, three guys in the first round and a couple guys in the second round. I thought that we were fortunate to get Travis Jones last year where, where that pick occurred. Yeah. So um, you're not going to ever have a perfectly complete roster. I, I would I would like to take a look at some of the players that are out there still, and you need you need more than six for training camp at, at a minimum. So, yeah, that is uh, by the way one of the nice things, and we're, we won't cover this on the show, but they they drafted some small, not they didn't draft, they undrafted some small <laughs> school uh, UDFA defensive linemen that I'll be excited to see what they can do. Uh, uh, they're all warty um, in, in terms of what they've got, uh, but the RMAC Player of the Year I believe is among those. And uh, uh, Colorado School of Mines, I think the, he's the guy. So it's it's a it'll, you know it's be an interesting year in terms of small school guys uh, at camp. And I bet you one of those players makes the team. I, I, I if yeah. if not, he'll be a practice squad guy and one of the guys that they they really look for if they have any kind of injury. They're great. At, they're great. I would put their defensive line. Uh, Gem, gem finding, so to speak, up there with any position. I remember a few years ago when we were doing the undrafted free agent tracker before social media made it a little bit easier and Michael Pierce was uh, latched on with the team and I'm sitting there writing a little blurb about everybody for Baltimore Beatdown and you couldn't find anything about him except the video of him squatting 800 pounds or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing on the internet and he turned out to be the best of the bunch and one, one of the best UDFAs they've had in the last – decade really yeah and it's that's a great point and and DeCosta, one of the things i thought we would see during his era at, at, you know post ozzy was that we would get a plethora of these small school picks but it seems to be more like they trust that the small school picks are going to drop into the undrafted free agent ranks so even go back to the, the greatest ravens draft of all time in 2018 their last two picks were greg sanat who was what Wagner? I think he went to, or it was it was yeah. a small school, you know, in the in the I think Wagner, yeah. And then and then uh, of course Zach Sealer out of Ferris State. So they got two guys who small school guys at the end of the draft that year, uh, where they where they you know had drafted twelve guys in total. It just it's it has been a wonderful hallmark of the Newsom years, and it seems like 
they've gone almost all power five and not, not necessarily power five, but almost all um, FBS uh, programs in mm-hmm. recent years, not with, the, not with the small school. And, and, you know, there's, there's smaller schools within the FBS that, that, that you know, the, the, uh, the second tier conferences, uh, the Sun Belt and places like that, that, you know, obviously you, you can still get players from, but they, they really haven't drafted very many um, small, true small school guys. One, one factor that could be impacting that just thinking of brainstorming out loud here with uh, the transfer rules, a lot of the players that are, coming out small school, entering their, their last year of eligibility will transfer to bigger schools and then be drafted with that, that bigger schools. I mean, Robinson is an example of that this in this cycle for the Ravens who was, you know, playing in Canada and then transferred to Ole Miss um, as a college football fan, Florida state is my team and they're the best in the, in the nation at the transfer portal. And that's all they do. I mean, they just go, Hey, you're a three year starting safety from, uh, you know, what's the one, uh, Nichols, Tallahassee, yeah. and we're going to, we're going to bring you over and give you, you know, 50 grand of NIL money. And, uh, you're going to be a starter for us. And then you're going to graduate to the pros next year. So maybe there's not as many small school guys. This also haven't as many picks, you know, that it, it, I can think of another reason, but that NIL money is a great point you're making mm-hmm. there is, is that, you know, that's almost like pro bonus money at this point that they have a chance to make where they couldn't, they couldn't get that at the at the smaller school, so that's a that's a fantastic point. I'd say also that we're still working through the COVID bubble, yes, and so that's in particular I think that's affecting the defensive line that they can't get as many people coming out. And what you really see it in the age of the bigs now. So the you know the Ravens have a offensive lineman that we're thrilled that they got who won't step on the field for the first time until he's twenty five point seven. You know, mm-hmm. put that in a in a you know. Months are important as, as well as years there. And they had other guys they, they took who were 24. I mean, it's just I, it, I've never seen the Ravens draft so many old old players in one draft, but they're looking for functional strength from day one from their bigs. And there is a certain value to that. Once you get fairly late in the draft, you're really looking at one contract play anyway. Mm-hmm. And after that, you're going to you're going to rent month to month, so to speak. You're going to you're mm-hmm. going to you're going to get these guys on a one year vet min contract. Uh, so, so they're not they're not terribly concerned about oh, is this guy going to give you a compensatory value on those on the, some of those later round picks? Uh, it is surprising. I think Voris they might actually get a compensatory pick out of. Yeah, well, that's the one there. I mean, that was, and I really like that. I, the first time I remember that was Ozzy Newsom did that with Anthony Poindexter all the way yes, way back 2000. then, two thousand, and uh, it was all Americans supposed to be a first round pick. He never recovered, but medicine's better now. Um, I always I always like taking the big guys in on day three. They seem to have a better hit rate on those. I mean, they've hit on quite a few day three offensive linemen over the years, uh, and it's you know the size and shape pool is uh, is better. But Ravens are as far as developing and finding trench. I put them up there with any team in the whole league. Yeah, definitely. It's been uh, been very exciting. Uh, let's get let's get to the final uh, point. I think that we really need to discuss in that one is that. The Ravens really, their new era began the first day of the draft and not with any pick, uh, not with the Zay Flowers pick, but with the signing of Lamar Jackson and that, that it now changes how they have to approach all contracts, all signings, all expenditures uh, going forward is that they're going to need to be super careful with the cap. And effectively with Lamar under one of these big, big contracts, 
they probably have one and a half to two less cornerstone players they can keep on the team on a, on a consistent rotating basis. Right. And they got ahead of that a little bit by trading players away for first round and well, mostly first round draft picks. And so you get two picks in two years in a row. Um, you're building up that pipeline that's going to carry you through with the comp pick for in the trade, and you could trade these players away. But I absolutely agree. There's no question about it. You have to pick and choose where are you going to go cheap. And if you're not going to go cheap at inside linebacker, um, you're probably going to have to go cheap on a defensive line. Um, and if and the same thing applies to the offensive side of the ball. If you're going to pay a running back then you're going to take some assets away from uh, the offensive line. So I would really look at it going forward, and I really like what Roseman's done in Philadelphia. Invest in the more autonomous positions um, so that the more dependent positions can be elevated by those players at those. Essentially, build up your lines and build up your uh, corners and receivers and just devalue. But the Ravens aren't in that spot. How are they going to? They have to find some efficiencies where they can – um, do better than their what they've re, what they've invested in that a certain uh, place should provide. Yeah. So UDFA value obviously always been part of the Ravens Ravens scheme, but you, you, I agree they need to win other elements than strictly winning the draft for value numbers. Um, one of the things it's almost impossible, folks, under the current CBA rules to really win a free agent signing. To really win one and you and get more value now ozzy newsome in the in the um late 90s and into 2000 had an unbelievable historic run of free agent signings that was just unbelievable value after value and players like like woodson and mccrary and help me out with these because i forget some of syragusa sam adams shannon yeah. sharp yeah there you go mccrary was really what a what a great signing that was but yeah he loaded up i mean uh even Quadra Ishmael, I mean, he was the scrap heap guy, but he ended yeah. up getting another contract. Yeah, it's tough. And the CBA doesn't – it's taken only some of the value from draft picks with the proven performance escalator. Um, and some of those things where you have a guy like Duvernay who you take in third and now he's costing you more than most guys do. Um, it's tough. I mean, it's it's a very it's a very competitive league, and that's why we love it because of the these – these factors, these safeguards that they put in place to prevent any teams from kind of becoming these super teams for long periods of time. Yeah. For, for all that we, we talk about the challenges of this league, the fact that there are these challenges really helps the Baltimore Ravens. They are adept at mm -hmm. maneuvering through this rush hour traffic. That is the salary cap to try and make the best of a, of, of a situation and, and, and really move forward with it. So I, I, I do love that. And I absolutely hate the fact that baseball has uh, not given us this sort, same sort of game. That they're not yeah. willing to to move to a hard cap league, and and you know what it it magnifies the problem for a city like Baltimore, who was one of the real success stories of the 1990s in baseball. They led the entire major leagues in attendance. Mm -hmm. There should have been world championships that that accrued from their incredible box office success. But the fact of the matter is, without salary, without uh, revenue sharing, um, the Ravens were still in a difficult place. And they had some big salary years that they went through there. They had the third highest uh, uh, salary uh, structure at one point. Um, but still, it, it was it was a an era where um, 
you know, they would have been better off, and certainly in the long term, if they had did. And then the situation got much more magnified when the uh, nationals got dumped yeah. into half their market and, and took it away. So uh, just a frustrating as hell situation. I tell you, I, I hate a lot of other a lot of other divisional teams, but most of, most of it's out of respect with the Browns and the, and the Bengals and the Steelers. It's certainly mostly respectful in terms of, of uh, how I feel about that. Maybe not as much for Buffalo, <laughs> Sometimes in terms of that, but, 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 uh, but I, but the, the teams, the team that I really cannot stand is the nationals. The, the, the Orioles have twice won the battle to get rid of the team in DC by their mm-hmm. play on the field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've won that war twice. Stop starting it again. Yeah. Stop, stop giving us a franchise in DC if they can't support it. And, uh, yeah. They had, yeah. If they did a net, I mean, the, the, the independent TV networks in the baseball, just it's, 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 it's not, you know, there's no competitive balance and it's, it's taken a lot of the interest out of the game. I think, I mean, baseball was much more popular 10, 15 years ago, I think than it is now. Yeah, thank thank goodness for Michael Elias bringing the Orioles back via the, via the you know fundamental approach to rebuilding and uh, you know as much as I hate tanking for my season tickets in football, I don't have a season tickets in baseball anymore, and I can live with the Elias <laughs> sure. approach. I can, but I didn't sure. have to go to those games. You know, I did not have to go to those games, and I right. don't want that same standard applied to me in football where I'm going to be going. Not only am I going to be going like you, Voss, I'm going to be writing about it the whole week and spending a huge amount of my time doing that. I mean, it's just it is not a reasonable thing to expect fans to live through tank years, in my opinion, in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the big thing in baseball, Elias did that because he felt like he had to. And that becomes a question for the Ravens. Are the Ravens, do they need to go not go? Rams or Saints or some of the other teams, crazy, you know, 10 story drops off the roller coaster, but a little bit more. A little bit more. do you have to? Because it's hard to win in the playoffs. It's really hard to win in the playoffs when the other teams have another five or ten percent of their annual resources invested to a team compared to who, who you have on your roster. Well, fair enough. I've, and I think we've seen the last couple of years the fragility of knowing that you're a contender, I have knowing in air quotes there that you're a contender is often based on the health of your quarterback. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have that sort of fragility, I don't know how you plan year to year for this is the year we're going to contend kind of, right. kind of situation. So that becomes, you know, obviously a mitigating factor to the, to the, to the riding the roller coaster parody uh, method to, to occasionally get a high at the level you want it. I think the cost in this off season, um, has kind of come – I thought he was below average aggressive, and I think he's come towards the median. He's probably right around as far as willingness to trade picks, willingness to mortgage future picks, willingness to take uh, borrow money from future caps. And I thought they were – especially in comparison to other contenders, they were below average, and now they're average, and I don't want them to be the most aggressive team in the league. That's not good business either. I think I think they're hopefully they're finding a good mix, and if they can pull one more bullet, pull one more lever, and get a cornerback – Marcus Peters, hypothetically, um, they got one of the best-looking rosters in the whole league for sure. Well, I'd certainly be excited with them signing a quarter. And you know how much I respect your thoughts on on roster building, Voss, because you answer the one significant question: is where do I am I not going to pay in order to sign Johnny? Mm-hmm. So don't you know? Please, 
if, if I could give a form out on Twitter for how I want to hear these things, <laughs> I want to spend money on Odell Beckham, but and in order to fund that, I'm going to not pay Calais Campbell, or I'm you know, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, Mad Libs, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a Mad Lib. There you go. Fill out the Mad Lib for me. <laughs> so, I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, that team, might I show mean, up on a show again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even uh, the Rams. I mean, the Rams weren't a perfectly complete team two years ago. They had holes. Everybody has holes. You just, yeah. you just don't want to have holes in the wrong places. You know, I thought if, if I brought up Mad Libs once before, and I didn't know if they still existed anymore. But you have young kids. Do they, do they Mad Libs still around? I haven't seen them. No, Mike. Okay. Everything so th- no one no one uses paper and pen anymore. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. You probably do your Mad Libs online, and they give yeah. you some suggestions. <laughs> right. All right. Voss, right. always. Uh, oh, wait. Did want to maybe talk about the best combination of need yeah. and value in the draft? Who's the pick you really liked most of all for for the combination of need and value, or or just how? Who's the pick you liked? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go chalk, and I'm gonna go with Flowers. I think he's the the instant coffee pick of this draft. I think he's one of the most electric, if not the most electric, playmakers in the class. I thought where he was picked was right on the money. I could have seen him going five or so picks earlier. Um, and he's a position that I, I like the way he compliments the other receivers in the room as well. So I'll go with I'll go with Flowers. All outstanding points. Outstanding points. I wouldn't disagree with any of them. I think what he does potentially for the rest of the receiver group is absolutely tremendous. So he actually was still my second best. I really love the Voris pick. And trading back up, giving Cleveland a sixth could be that nice twist of the knife you like for a divisional rival and will remind us the name of Babatunde Oshinawa will come up again in the future because he's the sixth-round pick that was the extra icing on the cake for the Browns to trade 12 to us in exchange for 13, move up and pick Haloti Nada back in 2006. So uh, whoever the Browns draft, we're hoping for a bust on that six-round pick that they have (laughs) next year. And then, oh, well, you know, that was Johnny Zepp or whoever you We'll be able to put that up in the hall of uh, of bad Browns draft picks that helped the Ravens. So uh, very excited about about Boris. Yes, yes. That's offensive line, top three in the league last year by almost every grading system. And I don't expect much of a drop off at all with with without Ben Powers. Right, I I, I agree as well, and and uh, I think you know one of the things I really liked about it was they seem to have a commitment to keeping a very large man next to Powers. We'll see if they really give McCarry a chance of the job because that's the one guy that's, who's kind of in the discussion who wouldn't fit the need. But whether it's Cleveland or Faalele or Boris a years from now, Simpson even or or Sala or Sala, yeah, they're, they're all the rest of them are big men. So you know you got uh, you got the right size next to next to a player like Linderbaum. Voss, always so much fun to talk football with you. Animated discussions, love doing this. I wish we could do a regular show during the year, which would be like you know maybe a later in the week thing where it's a little laid back, but we're all you know focused on one thing. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's talk offline. I have some ideas as well. All right, uh, tell folks where they can find your stuff online. I am at Twitter at Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown, and I am co-managing editor and writer for the Baltimore Beatdown blog on SB Nation. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this offseason, hit me up. Uh, still have that one plays. We're recording. Uh, but any other topic, you want to talk franchise building, you want to talk about scheme, you want to talk about a new metric, that's fine. I've got a new series that I'm uh, inviting people to 
uh, raise their hand for. If you want to talk about two players, one offensive and one defensive, uh, I ran this series last year and it was very fun. Uh, and I thought it gives a good chance for players to talk, uh, for multiple people to talk about a position group and how it kind of fits together by taking a player from that position group. Uh, but I'd love to have uh, you, any of you for that, uh, just send me a DM on Twitter and I'll put you on the list. Boss, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. big money on plant protection supplies now at menards defend your garden with triazicide insect killer its fast-acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on triazicide insect killer at menards and check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now save big